Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you here this morning. You might be wondering, why is Ben here and he's not preaching? Did you wonder that? I'm, I'm not preaching today because I spent f- this whole past week up in Michigan. I preached five times and I've learned something about myself. I'm 47 now, okay? If I preach five times the week before, I'm, I'm exhausted. I can't, I've, I'm, all, I'm all spent. Uh, but it was, I had a great week at camp, spoke for four times on the topic of, of anxiety to young people. And we just saw God do some really cool things up in Michigan. And uh, we just, my wife and I, we drove back 13 hours yesterday. We were glad to be home, glad to be here with you guys today uh, on this Independence Weekend. And I'm super excited to introduce to you my friend, Josh Kappas. Josh and I have known each other since 2011. Uh, he came to our church, a church at Denver, across the lake when I was pastoring over there. He knew a mutual friend of ours, and, and he was in between ministries, and he came for a season, and God was stirring in his heart and in our hearts. And uh, over the about a year and a half with us, we planted him out of our church at Denver into the city of Newton, about 20 minutes up the road uh, off uh, Highway 16, and, and sent him about six families. And that church today is, is growing and thriving and is just an amazing gospel work going on up there. But one of the things that, as I was thinking about someone to come in and speak for us this morning, um, you know, Josh is someone who's been a pastor, youth pastor, church planter. He's now works for Love Life Charlotte. He's been there since 2018. But what I love about Josh is that, number one, he loves Jesus. He's an authentic, he's an authentic leader. He's an authentic man. He loves people. And what else I love about him is that he really believes that when he teaches, he's a man of faith and conviction. And so um, I I hope that you will be blessed in the short time that you get to hear from him as much as I've been blessed to know him over the past decade plus. So will you welcome Josh Kappas forward with me? Thank you, buddy. Love you, man. Well, good morning. It's so great to be here with you today. Thank you, Pastor Ben. I want to honor you and uh, Pastor Dan uh, for um, your friendship and for your invitation to be here today. And um, Pastor Ben uh, played a very important role at a very important time in my life, in the life of our family as we were seeking the Lord's will and also just needed a place to rest and uh, renew, and uh, Pastor Ben and his church took us in and loved us so well and uh, gave us space to discern the Lord's will. And, and when they planted us out of their church, it, it came at great cost. I mean, two of their elders came with us. It, it was not an easy transition, um, but Ben and the leadership there had planted the church with a gospel DNA, a kingdom DNA, that we aren't just building our brands and our names of our churches, but we're building God's kingdom. And uh, when it came down to it, um, they put their money where their mouth was and planted us out. And Ben, we just voted last week to purchase 34 acres of land in, in Newton and uh, going to be expanding. And uh, the Lord is doing some pretty awesome things there. So thank you, brother. Love you, man. Uh, in regards to Love Life, just real quickly, just bring greetings from our founder, Justin, Justin Reeder, and our team, and just thank you. Your church has been an incredible partner with Love Life. You guys are a house of refuge, uh, which if you don't know, there's now a, a network of over 230 house of refuge churches around the nation that are on a map that moms can go to and put in a zip code and see uh, all of the house of refuges in their community where they can run to instead of run from. 
Uh, we know that for a long time, uh, men and women have been running from the church when it comes to unplanned pregnancies. We want to change the culture where they start running to the church. And uh, you guys are one of those House of Refuge churches. If you look up Cornelius on our map, you guys pop up there. And so thank you for being a partner. Uh, we are now in over 20 locations around the U.S. We're covering close to 60 abortion clinics with a consistent gospel witness where, where people are trained to offer the hope of the gospel and the help of the church. Um, we have o- almost or over 900 partnering churches now, and within probably a week or two, we will be coming up on our 5,000th baby saved since 2016. And you guys are a part of that. You guys are a part of making that happen. And uh, so we give glory to the Lord for you and for what the Lord is doing through people like you, through believers around the nation, and even now in Canada, in Cameroon, in Australia, uh, there are things that the Lord is doing to stir his people uh, towards our very first God-given liberty, which is the right to life. Amen? Amen. Will you turn with me to Revelation chapter 21? Revelation chapter 21. I want you to imagine with me uh, one of two scenarios, and you tell me which one you like better. I want you to imagine that your family is going on vacation. You know a general time about when you will go, but no one in your family knows where you're going. You don't know what you will be doing, and you have no idea what it will be like. Then the other scenario is, is you and your family are going on vacation. You know it's going to be at the end of August. You know the exact resort that you're going to be staying at because you've read the reviews, you've done your research, you've seen the photos and the videos, you see the pictures of the, the, the five-course meals that you're going to be enjoying while you're there. You know all of the activities and the shows that will be taking place. Your friends have told you how amazing it is. They've been there before. Which scenario would you like better? The second one, right? I mean, we're not even, the first one was not even a surprise. It's the most vague, like, unknown thing. And unfortunately, for many Christians, that's actually how much we know about heaven. Heaven is almost like this, yeah, I think it's going to be cool. I heard some things about streets of gold, but I don't really know much about it. And we don't spend much time thinking on it and meditating on it in such a way that we anticipated and desire it. John Eldridge, famous Christian author, said that we will never desire that which we cannot imagine. And for many of us, even when you read Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven, he's even spoken to pastors who said, man, I'm not really that excited about heaven. I, I, don't, I can't fathom a place where for all of eternity, we're going to be in this disembodied state floating around on clouds singing all the time, wearing diapers. Like, it, like is that really going to be exciting? How is that not going to be maddening? Like, you know, and, and for, for many of us, we hear often that's what's associated with heaven is, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to worship. And what we equate with that is, is we're going to sing. And so heaven is going to be a cool place because it's not hell. And all we're going to be doing is singing the entire time. And let's be honest, are you really excited about that? But see, the Bible is written, and John, the apostle of Jesus, as he's exiled on the island of Patmos, for not saying Caesar is Lord, but saying Jesus is Lord, because he's seen Jesus risen from the dead, is given a revelation. And why is he given that revelation? 
He's given that revelation for generations and generations of believers to do what Paul has instructed us to do. Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, let us fix our minds on things above where Christ is. Let us live not for what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, this is going to be our home. What I'm going to read about today in Revelation 21, this is going to be our forever home. This is going to be the place that we're living for. This is the place that Christ shed his blood to purchase for us, to be with him forever and ever and ever. And he wants us to know about it. And not only does he want us to know about it, but he wants us to anticipate it. And not only does he want us to anticipate it, but he wants us to prepare for it. Just like if you knew you were going to be going to this five-star resort, you would be asking time off. You would be saving money. You would be adjusting your schedule. You'd be shifting your life around the fact that you're excited and anticipating going on this vacation. This is the same way and even to an an even greater degree, we should be ordering our lives around the reality of the new heaven and the new earth. And John and many other writers in the Bible give us glimpses of the glories of heaven because God wants our hearts to explode with these realities and he wants our imaginations informed by the scriptures to anticipate what this will be like. Our hearts desire glory. Even in silly things. I, I was in uh, Denver eating at one of those uh, Japanese, you know, hibachi grills. I love to go to those places. And I'll never forget, uh, we had this one chef. My daughter was about nine years old. She's 20 now. And, and, uh, um, and Samuel was probably little at the time as well. And uh, he cracked an egg. He starts frying up an egg. And he takes a piece of egg on the spatula and he tells Caitlin, open your mouth. And I thought he's just going to, you know lightly toss the egg into her mouth. That is not what he did. He reared back and took the spatula and whipped the egg straight into her mouth. And my initial reaction was I stood up straight out of my chair and started clapping and said, what? Because think about not only did he have the courage to just full on throw a piece of egg at my daughter's face, but he pulled it off like he actually did it. I was blown away. You know, never mind. My wife was probably sitting there going, he, he could have choked her with that egg. I, I was just blown away. And something that simple, you, know, you think about, you see a great play in sports. I, I uh, coached two different baseball teams. I was with a, a Legion team the other day. And uh, man, this, this kid hit a ball and it was going our, over our right fielder's head. And I'm like, there's no way he's catching that ball. And he ran it down and made this unbelievable over the shoulder catch. And man, we just all went crazy. And, and that's like, that's how we're wired that when we see things that are glorious and amazing, we respond to that. And that's what we get in the book of Revelation, the new heaven and new earth. So will you read with me? Um, Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says this. Then I saw, this is John speaking, John the apostle of Jesus. Then I saw the new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Father, I ask you in these next few moments to do more than I could ever do because at the end of the day, I'm just a human being made in your image, Father, and I don't have the capacity to apply this word and to uh, illuminate it and bring revelation the way that your spirit can to every individual in this room who represents a different set of circumstances and has a different set of burdens and, and struggles they may be carrying in this room and, and they need to hear this in different ways. And so I just pray, God, that you would help take this word and accomplish what you desire for it to accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that jumps out to me in the verses that we read here today is what John saw. We see that twice and and it's actually part of a string of that term, then I saw, that starts back in chapter 19, that begins with seeing Jesus on a white horse, coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's called faithful and true, and he comes and establishes his kingdom. He destroys the false prophet and the beast. He then, uh, he had then establishes the uh, thousand-year millennial reign. Then he defeats Satan and casts Satan and death and hell into the lake of fire. Then we see the great white throne judgment where the books are opened and all those who uh, were dead prior to that time are before the, the white throne. And it says everyone whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so we see Jesus dealing with all of his enemies, dealing with all that is cursed by sin, dealing with the ultimate cause of that, Satan himself, casting him into the lake of fire. And now John sees the culmination of the work of redemption, which is a new heaven and a new earth and God in the midst of it. And I want to point out to you that the language that John is using here is somewhat familiar language. We're familiar with earth and we're familiar with the heavens. This is, this is an actual physical place. So for those of you who think, well, heaven is just going to be this disembodied state where we're all just spirit beings floating around, that's not actually what the Bible teaches about our permanent home called the new heaven and the new earth, that it's actually going to be a physical location. Now, when the Bible uses the term heaven, uh, there are typically three heavens in the Bible. The first heaven is our atmosphere. The second heaven would be outer space. And the third heaven is the place where God dwells. Now, the place where God dwells does not need to be made new. It is not cursed by sin. 
But our universe and our atmosphere and our earth does need to be remade. It does need to be made new because it is, in fact, polluted and cursed by sin. And that's why Christ came, because he's going to redeem and restore and renew this creation. But that's actually good news because it means that where we will spend eternity is not all that unfamiliar to us. It's not going to be spooky and weird. It's going to be a earth similar to this one, but imagine an earth like this one that is no longer under the curse of sin, that is no longer under uh, the, the reality that everything here will rust and uh, rust. rust will rust and moths will eat and destroy. Things can be stolen. All of it is temporary. Well, this is going to be restored and renewed. There is a new heaven and a new earth. And within that new heaven and that new earth comes a holy city. And that holy city is called Jerusalem. But it's a new Jerusalem, and it's coming down from God. And so a glorious city is coming down from heaven, from God himself, onto the earth, and the old earth and the old heaven are passed away, and this is the reality of what we will experience and where we will live forever and ever and ever. And I want you to imagine with me the most beautiful scenery you've ever seen in your life. I want you to imagine maybe the best day that you've ever had in your life where just things went so perfectly. And you had so much peace. And you weren't consumed with the stresses and the worries of life. And realize that what you got was only a small glimpse of the glory that you and I will enjoy forever when we are in the new heaven and the new earth. And Christ is there with us. No more sin, no more tears. This is not just written about in John's revelation here, here in the book of Revelation, but this is also written uh, about in the Old Testament prophets, specifically in Isaiah. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66. Isaiah is writing about Israel's future glory and about a new heaven and a new earth and given all these descriptions. And as you read, even in Revelation chapter 21, we read about this incredible place that is even the city of Jerusalem. It describes its walls. It's a 1,500-mile square-foot city whose walls are made of gold, but it's not gold like we know because gold like we know has impurities in it. You've got 14-karat gold, 24-karat gold. There's impurities in our gold. This gold is so clear, it's so pure that you literally can see through it. John actually has to use similes and metaphors because what he's seeing with his eyes are so glorious where there's, it's kind of like what we have here, but it is so glorious and so pure and so unbelievable uh, that he struggles to put it into human terms. And this is the place that we will live. Jesus himself in John chapter 14 says to his disciples just after he has washed their feet and tells them that he's going to die, he says, behold, I'm going to pre prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I'm going to prepare a mansion. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples about a physical place that he is preparing for them to live with him forever. 
So even Jesus himself tells us that this place is going to be a place where there are physical realities, but it's not just a physical place because here, here's the deal, and this is, you know this is true, even though we talk about all these glorious things, and as you read, and I would encourage you to read the rest of Revelation 21, and, and you know how it describes streets of gold and, and, and jewels and all of these amazing things, no more sun, because the glory of God himself will be our light, and the gates will be open because there's nothing to be feared anymore, because all the enemies of God have been done away with. But, but here's the deal. If, you, if all we had was this physical reality, we would still be, there'd still be a part of us that goes, yeah, but wouldn't we still get bored? Like, wouldn't streets of gold and emeralds and all those things, wouldn't that still, like, I mean, we're talking about forever. Wouldn't that still eventually, like, kind of get monotonous? And, and the reason for that is, is because we know nothing like this in this life. Everything that we experience in this life eventually leaves us wanting more. It eventually gets boring. It eventually gets dull. I mean, that's why EA Sports has to make a new version of Madden every year, or you need a new car, or, you know, that new house, you know, seems more appealing because nothing in this life ultimately satisfies us. It can only give us whispers of what is to come. And so when we think about, yeah, streets of gold sounds amazing and this place sounds beautiful and glorious, but if it's forever, like, won't it ultimately become boring? And so what will actually make heaven heaven? And what will actually make heaven heaven is not what John saw, but it's what John heard. When John says, and I heard, in verse 3, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold. I love that word, behold. The best illustration that I can think of for the word behold is the day that you see your bride when those doors open and you see your bride with her white dress on and you just, you, you pause and you look and you take in the reality of, this is my wife. This is the woman that I'm going to marry. And you just kind of soak it in and enjoy that moment. Or maybe it's, you know, if you've gone to the Grand Canyon or some glorious sunset that you've seen and you just sit there and you enjoy it. That's what John wants us to do. Behold, pause, look, ponder, think about this reality. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Heaven will be heaven, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures that last forever, because God is there. The reason why heaven won't be boring and monotonous is God himself will be our God and we will be with him. And John says, stop, pause, take that in because for all eternity, I used to think that when we get to heaven, all our questions will be answered. No, we will be discovering God is an 
infinite sea of knowledge and glory and beauty and he will be forever creating more beauty and more glory and we will forever be discovering more and fellowshipping more and getting more and more intimate with him forever and ever and ever and every street of gold we walk on and every glorious meal that we eat every Every responsibility that we have in the new heaven and the new earth, because listen, if, if the Bible uses terms of earth and heaven and cities and all those things, what do you do in those things? You create, you, you work, you labor. Those are all good things. We're going to do those things in the new heaven and the new earth. But all of it, all of it, all of it, we will know deep down in our heart, every joyful moment we have, we deserve none of it. We deserve none of it. We were gifted all of it. And the one who made it possible is dwelling right in the midst of it with us. And he's not doing it begrudgingly. He wants it that way. Think about that. God wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. This is what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Why? So that where I am, there you may be with me also. Think about Jesus saying that to you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has just defeated all of his enemies and cast them all into the lake of fire, the one who came and lived a perfect sinless life and suffered and died and rose from the dead and sits at the, at the right hand of the Father forever and ever and ever, being our advocate for us, says to you, I want you to be with me. I want to enjoy heaven with you forever. John Piper asked the question in one of his books, if you could go to heaven but God not be there, would you still want to go? The pinnacle of heaven, the pinnacle of glory, the reason why heaven will never be boring, never be dull, never be monotonous is because God himself is there with us, dwelling with us, just like it was in Genesis 1 and 2. This is the story of the Bible. This is the narrative of what God is doing in all of history. Where he created Adam and Eve and he walked with them in the cool of the garden and he fellowshiped with them and they lived under his good rule and reign. They rebelled against that and instead of God just saying, okay, have it your way, God planned before the foundation of the world to redeem and restore his creation and mankind and put us back in that place. And that is why the imagery of the Garden of Eden runs through the whole Bible. The tree of life and rivers that run out of the dwelling place of God starts in Genesis. And you see it pictured in the tabernacle. You see it pictured in the temple. And then in the book of Revelation, all of those themes are there again. This is what God is doing. This is why Christ died. To purchase this reality for us. And, and we, we almost dishonor the Lord by not taking time and giving attention to this reality and desiring this. But let's face it, that, that's where many of us would find ourselves this morning because we've been far more entertained and captivated by all that we have here and now. And I would just remind you that in those moments when you have all that you could possibly want yet still feel empty, that that is the Lord shouting to you that you weren't made for this. You were made for that new heaven and that new earth 
and to dwell with God forever and to find your ultimate joy and ultimate fulfillment and ultimate identity and everything in Christ himself. Amen? So John sees a new heaven and new earth. He sees a new city coming down out of heaven from God where we will dwell with him forever and ever. And the question then that should be raised is, well, who gets to go there? Who gets to participate in the new heaven and the new earth? Because John actually talks about two different kinds of people here. And he says, if you'll look with me in verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's two different kinds of people that are here. There's those who conquer and those who don't. This idea of conquering actually starts in the beginning of this book. Remember when John is given seven messages to deliver to seven different churches. And at the end, there's typically a warning. You know, there was something going on in that church that, 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 that Christ wanted to warn them about. And then it would say, to, to the one who overcomes, or to the one who conquers, I will give. And he lists all of these different elements that we see here in Revelation 20, 21, 22. To the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes persecution, to the one who overcomes their own sin, to the one who overcomes false doctrine, to the one who doesn't stop trusting in the Lord, I will give. So, this new heaven and the new earth is for those who conquer. Well, well how, how do we conquer? How do we overcome? Well, the book of Revelation actually answers that. Do you remember what John says? How the saints who were persecuted for their faith overcame? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. John hears from the throne, it is done. I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is all about God. The new heaven and the new earth is all done by God. It's all secured by God. And our salvation is all done by God and all secured by God. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So my first question to you is, are you trusting in the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And it says they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. In Revelation it says this, the uh, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The only testimony that matters is the testimony that's rooted in Jesus. When we get to heaven, when we stand in this new heaven and new earth, the only testimony that we will ultimately have is Jesus. I am here because of Jesus. I am here because Jesus lived a sinless life. I'm here because he died a sinner's death. I am here because he rose again from the dead. I am here because he drew me to himself. I am here because he kept me until the end by his Holy Spirit. My testimony is Jesus. See, I grew up in church literally from diapers, generally good kid, 
believed, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But when I got into high school, I really rebelled and kind of went my own way and wanted to do my own thing. I, I lived such a selfish life that by the time I left for college, my dad, with tears in his eyes, said to me, I feel like I've wasted 18 years of my life on you. I had hurt my family so much in the way that I was living. In the midst of all that, I had all my dreams, and you know, I wanted to be in the Air Force Academy and fly airplanes. I had congressional nomination at the Air Force Academy. Long story short, all my plans fell through, and my youth pastor came to me and said, man, I'd love to take you to Liberty University. I went there uh, when I was a student, and uh, my best friend was being recruited to play baseball there. And so I went there, and I cannot explain it other than the Lord. I didn't really see anything, you know, Remarkable there, I didn't do a whole lot, but I knew in my heart of hearts that I was supposed to go there, and I knew why I was supposed to go there, because Jesus wanted to change my life. And so that night, when my dad and I had that talk, I laid in my bed that night, and, and I, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm done. I know that you want to change my life, and I'm ready for you to do that. And I surrendered my life to the Lord, and, and, and he changed me drastically overnight, like the desires of my heart and what I was living for, and and, and, and the direction of my life. And when I would come home on break, I would hang out with my friends that I was doing all this stupid stuff with all through high school. And, and I longed so badly for them to see that I was different. And, and, and they would start asking me, like, what's going on with you? You don't do the same stuff that, that we used to do together. And, and I would just tell them, like, I, I didn't get religious. I didn't turn over a new leaf. I didn't pull up my bootstraps. And I'm trying harder to be a better version of me. The only explanation I have is Jesus changed my life. He changed my heart. So that's how we overcome. We overcome by clinging to Jesus. His blood shed for our sins to remove the barrier that exists between us and God. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And is that your testimony today? Are you clinging to Jesus? Are you trusting in His blood have you turned from sin and self and clung to Jesus as the only hope for your salvation, anticipation of being with him forever in the new heaven and the new earth? Not only, though, is, is heaven a, a motivation and a reality for us to believe on Jesus, but there's other ways in which setting our minds on things above actually helps us here and now. One of those ways is, is, it, is it helps us to overcome sin struggles in our lives. In Colossians chapter 3, I, I quoted that verse to you uh, at the beginning of this message. Colossians 3 says, since we have been raised with Christ, let us fix our minds on things above. That's Colossians 3.1. The end of chapter 2, Paul says that there was a form of religion out there that was basically self-discipline and beating our bodies to help us overcome sin. And he says it has, a, it has an appearance of being something that might be effective, but it says it is of no value in overcoming the lust of the flesh. Then he goes into telling us what is of value, and that is setting our minds on things above, where Christ is. 1 John chapter 2 says, uh, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. It's talking about when we see Christ at his return, we will be transformed. Our bodies will be transformed into bodies just like Jesus, that we can live in the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever and ever. We'll have a bodies like Jesus. And then he says, and those who, who hope in this will purify themselves even as he is pure. 
You see, hoping for heaven, not, not wishful thinking, confident expectation in things to come, hoping in the new heaven and new earth, making our residency and our eternity that that's where we're going to be, that's our joy, that's our ultimate destination, actually will produce in us a desire for holiness, to become pure even as he is pure. So as John says, that we will not be ashamed at his return, but we'll be confident at his return because we're purifying ourselves. That hoping in Christ, that clinging to Christ, that, that longing for Christ in the new heaven and the new earth actually changes our desires and what we're living for and makes us more like Jesus. It produces holiness in us. And so I would commend you to Meditate on the new heaven and the new earth and allow your imagination informed by scripture to think about what glorious day that will be, what glorious eternity that will be to dwell with ever with God in such a way that whatever it is you might be struggling with here today, it could be lust, it could be greed, any form of idolatry, things that you're clinging to that you love and value more than you love and value the Lord, allow the glories of heaven, the reality of Jesus being there, dwelling with you forever to dull and kill these other fleshly, temporary carnal desires so that you become more like Christ. But there's also another way in which the new heaven and the new earth helps us here in this life, and that is with suffering. I would imagine in a room uh, this size that there are some people here today that are suffering. It could be a physical ailment, a chronic illness that you have. It could be some form of relational suffering, some form of loss that you are uh, experiencing. But suffering is very real in this life. And there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 that talks about something that I didn't fully understand until, until I connected it with Revelation 21. A year, a little over a year ago, my wife um, had surgery to have her gallbladder removed, and uh, post-surgery, she suffered damage to her bladder, uh, which has caused her to have chronic um, pain and basically UTI symptoms, which has caused her a lot of anxiety and duress and has opened up our world into a realm of like what it means to suffer from like chronic pain and how that affects you. Because of that, we've heard many other stories of tremendous suffering that people have gone through in this life. And sometimes it just feels so overwhelming and I just want to briefly just point something out to you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 17 says, uh, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What does it mean that our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's amazing to me that Paul says light momentary affliction because when you read about Paul's life, I think Paul maybe suffered more than any other human being other than Jesus. 
In 2 Corinthians, I think it's either chapter 11 or chapter 12 in the same book, he lists everything that he went through, and it was anything but light and momentary. He suffered greatly, which is why I love that he wrote this verse, because like, this isn't written by a guy on a, you know, on a yacht who's got a huge book deal, living his best life now, telling us, hey, your suffering is light and momentary. This is coming from a guy who suffered greatly. And he says, all of that suffering, even at the very beginning of this letter, he says, I, he, was, he was in a time where he said, I thought as though, or I felt as though I had received the sentence of death. And he said, I despaired of life itself. Like he was in a bad spot. And he says, all of that is light and momentary compared to what? The new heaven and the new earth. And he actually says that what you go through in this life is actually preparing for you, storing up for you an eternal weight of glory. And do you remember what I read in Revelation 21 in the middle of this text? It says, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. I want you to take everything that you have gone through in your life to this point. We don't deny the reality of the pain and the heartache and the loss that you felt and endured. And then I want you to imagine seeing Jesus, not far off in a distance, but right here in front of you, taking his very hands and wiping tears from your eyes and saying, you will never hurt like that again. You'll never lose like that again. And knowing that that's coming from a God who was not distant from us in our suffering, but entered into our suffering. He is acquainted with, familiar with our grief and our sorrows, tempted in every way that we were yet without sin. That Jesus who was completely innocent and sinless, subjected himself to this futility and this old earth and this, this old heaven that's going to be passing away to purchase for us a time where we will see him face to face and he will wipe our tears from our eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And in that moment, your experience of Christ and your experience of heaven and your enjoyment of that reality forever and ever and ever will be so much richer and deeper and fuller as a result of what you've gone through here in this life. And you will say over and over and over again, it was worth it. It was worth it to be with you, Jesus. And you have purchased this and made it possible for me to be with you forever. And so, my brothers and sisters, I encourage you and I implore you to think on these things. To live not for what is seen, for what is seen is transient, it's temporary, but to live for what is unseen, for what is eternal, and to allow your imagination and your meditation, informed by Scripture, to think on and long and desire for the glories of heaven so that you will store up for yourself an eternal weight of glory and joy when you see Jesus face to face. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the fact that uh, you have given us 
this precious book with promises that are given here and, and even this revelation that was given to John for the purpose of stirring our hearts and our minds and our affections to long for that which will last forever and will be beyond any imagination and anything we can compare what we have now to. And so God, I pray, Lord, for those who suffer here today, for those who are enduring great loss, great pain, it could be chronic disease or illness, whatever it is, God, I pray that this reality of the new heaven and the new earth and, and, and dwelling with you, fellowshipping with you face to face, moment by moment, having you wipe away tears and just know all is right, all is whole again, all is at peace, and it will never, ever, ever go back to the way it was. No more death, no more loss, no more mourning, no more crying tears of pain and loss and sorrow, only tears of joy. Lord, I pray for those struggling with sin today that the realities of heaven, God, would dull and kill their affections for sinful things and would fill their hearts with a longing for that which will be fullness of joy and pleasures that last forever. Lord, I pray for those who maybe don't know you yet, but today, God, hearing your word and hearing the gospel, you are drawing them to yourself that salvation is, is right near to them. It's in their mouth of simply confessing with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believing in their heart that, you, that God raised you from the dead. Jesus, I pray that you would draw men and women, boys and girls to yourself in a believing faith this morning to trust in Jesus, to cling to Jesus for the hope of salvation, for the new heaven, the new earth, and for being with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.